Well, y'all, glad y'all came to church this morning. I am so glad to be here today. Uh, we are in our series called Four Sins That Sound Godly. And they're things that we just kind of overlook a little bit in the church and things that kind of creep up. And it's kind of like that room in your house that you don't really notice is ugly until a guest comes over and you're like, whoa, that is bad. Kind of like San Francisco being cleaned up for President Xi Jinping uh, coming over because all of a sudden the powers to be noticed that San Francisco was, was nasty and needed to clean it up. But they were okay with it. And the same thing is true. A lot of times we just get okay with things in the church, get comfortable with them, and it's time to kind of look at them. And, and so uh, the first two weeks ago, we talked about spiritual whining, spiritual complaining, and how so many times we pass off complaining as godly. And, and last week, we talked about spiritual apathy, how the words, that's not my job, and I've put in my time already, are not found anywhere in the Bible. Um, but yet we say those a lot of times here in the church. And today we're talking about spiritual arrogance. And the main thing is, spiritual arrogance is a disease. It makes everyone sick except the one who has it. I remember a kid in, my, in one of my youth groups who remained nameless. And uh, uh, about 20 years ago, his parents were pillars in the church. When I say pillars in the church, they were pillars in the church. They were, uh, they were at everything. They were highly visible in leadership and everything. Uh, the kid went to the finest Christian school in town. Uh, they had an ichthus on their minivan. I mean, they were, they, they were the model Christian family for all I could tell. And this kid was in my high school ministry, and he was disrespectful. He was obnoxious. He wouldn't pay attention. He made fun of everything that we did in youth group, uh, he, he would hijack small group discussions and, and make, a, make a mockery out of everything, trying to be funny and cute. And he went on one of our Hurricane Katrina missions <clears throat> that we took to help rebuild the Gulf Coast back in 2006. And he was unfocused, he distracted everyone, terrible attitude, you name it. <clears throat> Finally, I confronted him. I had enough of his nonsense, and I said, uh, you know, tell me, what, what is going on with you? Why are you acting like this? And he, I said, you mock everything. You dismiss everything. You act like you're just too good for everything. And I'm getting really tired of it. <clears throat> he said, I hear this stuff all the time. Every day at school. Every day at chapel, every week at church, I've heard it all before, is what he told me. And I said, and yet you're living none of it. I said, tell me one difference between you and the non-Christian student down the street. I said, tell me a difference in your attitude. Tell me a difference in your devotion to Jesus Christ. Tell me a difference between your amount of surrender in your life and that kid's surrender in your life. Tell me one difference. I'm looking for one. He was speechless. See, guys, spiritual arrogance is a disease. But you don't know that you have it. It's very apparent to everyone else. But you don't know you've had, you have it. To quote Emperor Palpatine, your arrogance has blinded you. This kid was so spiritually arrogant that he didn't realize he was as lost 
as a kid who'd never heard of Jesus before. Even though he was immersed in youth group, he's immersed in Christian school, immersed in a Christian family, his spiritual arrogance made him think he was too good for it all. Pride and arrogance blind you to reality, you all. And unfortunately, that happens in the church. It happens in our families. And it is possible to be in church. It's possible to be in Bible study, to go to Christian school, to do all of those things and be so consumed with spiritual arrogance you don't see how lost you are. See, guys, the definition of sin is believing that somewhere, somehow, there is something better than God. Somehow, somewhere, there is something better than God. And you're going to go after everything you can possibly find. To, you go after everything to see what it is. God is not enough, sin says. He's not satisfying, and therefore we have to go outside what he says to find satisfaction for our souls. And no one, not even the most godly man or woman, is immune to it. If you think you are immune to sin, if you think you're immune to spiritual arrogance, you are deluding yourself. The man in the Bible known as the man after God's own heart, King David, fell victim to it. And you can too. Here's what happens. If turn to 1 Chronicles 21, 1-26. through 26. We're going to be there the whole time. Um, we hear the story of King David. King David is in the golden years. He's beaten Goliath. He's king of the, king of the nation. He, he's, uh, their, their enemies have been defeated. Life is good. He's living in the palace. Things are great. But that's not enough for him. He decides he's going to take a census of the, of the population. And, and, and here in First Chronicles 21, 1 through 2, we find that pride is an appetite that is never satisfied. David had it all. He was king. He was emperor. Living in a palace wasn't enough. Satan rose against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me so I may know how many there are. Now this seems like a very innocent thing. I mean, what, what ruler doesn't need to know how many people are in the kingdom, right? What military commander doesn't, know, doesn't want to know how many pe- troops he's got? I mean, that seems like a very innocent thing, doesn't it? But this is anything but innocent. David needed strokes to his ego, and he wanted to count. He wanted to see how vast his empire was, and God saw right through that. Let's set the stage for this, because this makes no sense. He's the guy who slew Goliath, right? There are songs about him. He's known as a man after God's own heart. So not only is he great, a great warrior, he's also known as a very dedicated believer. He's king. He's whooped up on his enemies so badly that no one is messing with him. There's peace. He has a palace. He has a huge family. He has money. When opportunity knocks and he isn't home, opportunity waits. Uh, He counted infinity twice. He could slam a revolving door. King David once fought Superman. Loser had to wear the underwear on the outside of his pants. King David won a game of Connect Four in three moves. Um, I mean, King David did a wheelie on a unicycle. Heard he even beat up Chuck Norris. Yes, that's that's the situation David's in right now. But pride is an appetite which is never satisfied. He wasn't being content with being the Chuck Norris of ancient Israel. It's never enough, always wanting more, more accolades, more success, more awards. So he takes a census, not because it's a routine thing. He wants to know how big his army is, like we said. 
don't know how powerful he is. And we have to realize that in you, spiritual arrogance and pride is an appetite which will never be satisfied, never. No matter what you have, no matter what position of power you have, no matter how much money, no matter how much popularity, no matter how much success you have, pride will always want more. And the thing is, guys, pride is so sneaky because it sneaks up on you in such innocuous terms. See, he was able to to disguise his pride with very innocent things, just like you and me. All he was doing was being a good manager, he could say, or all he was doing was being prepared. All he was doing was making sure that the army was where it needed to be, accountability. He could use all of these things to disguise his pride. In the same way, we're able to justify pride and arrogance in our walk with Christ. It's like that young man said, I've heard all this before. I don't need to hear this stuff. I heard what the Bible has to say. I've heard all of these teachings before. There's no humility before Scripture in that young man. He explained his arrogance away by making it sound so spiritual. How many times have we said things like this? Well, I'm just not getting fed. Or, well, that's for kids. I don't need church. I don't need community group. I don't need Christian fellowship. I'm going to do my own thing. I can follow Jesus better myself than in a church. I've heard all of these things. And they sound so spiritual. But they are simply excuses for spiritual arrogance. Thing is, is that everyone else sees it rather than you. The second thing, many times others around us can see pride for we do. And in verse 3, Joab, who was David's right-hand man, he, he loved King David. He's the only warrior that Joab, King David was the only warrior that Joab thought was better than him. He was not going to mess with David because he, it, Joab was a, was, was a commander of the troops, number two guy in the nation, all right? And he says this, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over my Lord the king. Are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? See, Joab saw it. His closest people saw it. He saw the, the pride and the arrogance that was, that was creeping up in David's life. And he saw it and he called it out. In the same way, people around you can see it before you do. Pride hides false to yourself but magnifies them to everyone else. Listen to that. When you have pride and spiritual arrogance, you, it blinds you to your own faults, but it magnifies them to everyone else. Everyone else sees them. I found that others can and will see pride in me, for I do. Listen to those around you. Listen, because many times they see the danger before you do, like Joab did with David. And not only do the people around see pride, they also feel the consequences of your pride. This is the kicker right here. They feel the consequences of your pride. See, number three, the consequences of pride, spiritual arrogance, are not just seen by you or felt by you. And in the, the verse 4 through 17, I'm going to summarize. David just overrules Joab, and he takes a census. He finds out how much there is, and, and God says, hey, um, this, is, this, is a, this is a terrible sin. So I'm going to send, a, so he sends a prophet to him, a guy named Gad, and says, David, you've done this evil thing. You're so consumed with yourself. This was a sin. So I'm going to give you three options. Three months, three years of famine, three months of being routed by your enemies, falling, falling the sword, or three days of God's angel wreaking havoc in the land. Any of you all ever have parents that say, go get me a switch? Yeah, that's what, David, that's what God was doing with David. David, choose how you're going to pay for this. Choose the results of your sin. And David says, 
I've, I've sinned, I know it's coming, I'm in the doghouse now, I'm, uh, but Lord, I'm gonna trust myself with you. Do not let me fall into human hands. Let me fall into your hands because you're, because you're merciful. So God sends his angel three days and 70,000 people are killed. 70,000 people. Plague hits. And you say, well, that's not fair, is it? It was David's sin. Why, why kill 70,000 people in, in Israel? Why kill innocent people? God, isn't that wrong? Isn't that terrible? Why didn't you just take it out on David? Because there's a lesson here. You don't think the sin of one person affects other people? You don't think that your sin affects other people? Are we that naive? Are we that silly? Are that, that Please don't be so naive. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. And that destruction many times takes others down with it, takes others down with you. When you fall, you aren't the only one that falls. How many of us, this is the time to look in the mirror, Catalyst Christian Church, how many of us are making prideful decisions right now that are destroying the people around us? I think of Pharaoh and the story of Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh. This is in the, in the book of Exodus, the second chapter of the Bible. Israel is in slavery. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, mm, no. And so God starts raining down plagues on them, plague of frogs, plague of gnats, plague of locusts, plague of hail and fire, plague of darkness, plague of, uh, that turns the Nile to blood, all this stuff. And, and Pharaoh's advisors go to him and say, Pharaoh, what are you doing? Let these people go. Don't you understand? Egypt is in ruins. Our nation is done. People are dying. We're all suffering. An entire nation because of one man's pride. The entire land of Egypt was destroyed. Pride will keep you, from, keep you running from God. Some of you all in here, your pride is keeping you away from God right now. You're running from him. You may be here physically, but you're running from God, just like Jonah did. When Jonah was called to go uh, preach to, the, to the, the Assyrians, the Assyrians were this warlike, terrible, awful nation that had been oppressing Israel, and, and God said, I'm going to wipe you all out, but Jonah, I want you to go tell them to repent. And Jonah's like, no, I want you to wipe them out. So he runs away and, and gets in a boat, and this storm uh, starts coming, coming out, and, and, and there are 300 people on the boat. Because of Jonah running from God, the 300 people were about to die, okay? The people around you are affected by your rebellion, okay? So see, your pride and arrogance doesn't just affect you. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects the people closest to you, your coworkers, your spouse, your children, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad. It hits everyone, and they feel the consequences of your spiritual arrogance. Believe you me. So let's bring this home. Let's look at the, in the mirror. It's your pride keeping you from asking forgiveness someone you've sinned against. You know it. They know it. Everyone knows it. You're about to destroy your home because you can't muster enough, muster enough humility to ask for forgiveness. And the consequences won't just be felt by you. That maybe did you grow up in a broken home where your parents couldn't muster enough humility before God to ask the other to forgive them. 
and you felt the consequences of it. You grew up in it. Let's, 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 get, rid of this, let's get rid of this naivete that your sin only affects you. It destroys the people around you too. It's your pride causing you to make decisions at work that are affecting coworkers, clients, customers. You, you aren't the only one that will feel that. There are innocent people around you who will be affected by your pride. Uh, you could be, cause a business to tank. The people could lose jobs and their way, means of supporting their families. It happens all the time, you all. You aren't the only one who feels the effect of your spiritual arrogance. And let's bring it home to the church. What about the church? I wonder if spiritual arrogance in, in, in us, in, in, I ask myself this all the time, has spiritual arrogance caused this, you know, destroyed our example as a church and caused people to leave the church? Because they see our arrogance towards the word of God. They see our lack of humility in worship. They see our, our, our inconsistency, our lack of valuing God, that we think that we're so great we don't need to be in church every Sunday. And, and, and they see that it's like, well, these people aren't dedicated. I'm out of here. People left the church because they saw your spiritual arrogance, your lack of humility and love, your treatment of God and his word and his people. The kid I was referring to at the beginning of this message, sad truth is, once you met the parents, you understood the kid. By the way, if you're a teacher, that's a common phrase. Once you meet the parents, you understand the kid. Parents had incredible amounts of spiritual arrogance. And today, none of their kids are walking with the Lord. See, their pride and spiritual arrogance led their children to rejecting the faith when they got old enough. Their lack of humility before God, their lack of love for other people, and their bossing people around. Their belief they knew it all, that they were above Sunday morning preaching, that they were above repentance, that they had it all figured out. This, this attitude destroyed the future of their family and faith. See, guys, King David's pride cost the lives of 70,000 people in Israel, and your pride and my pride will cost the people around us too, people we love. So the answer to this, the answer to spiritual arrogance is a beautiful word. It is a word called humility. First Chronicles 21, 18 through 26, after, after, getting his, 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 after seeing all of this, David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, I have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Lord, my God, let your hand fall on me and my family. Do not let this plague remain on your people. He prays. He realizes that he is the one, and he repents before God. And verse 18 says this, and Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord in the fleshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite. Verse 19, So David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. While Aruna was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. Then David approached, and when Aruna saw the, 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 saw, uh, looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. David said to him, let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. Get that, sell it to me at the full price. He was king, right? 
could have just taken it, but check this out. Aruna said to David, take it. Let my lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this. The king David replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. That is how you knew David truly repented because he took ownership and he invested in that solution. Have you taken ownership? It's not just enough just to confess. Have you made it right? And that's what King David is doing. So David paid Arun 600 shekels for, of gold for the site. David built an altar to the Lord and there sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Remember, that cost him. He called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offering. That's how you know you've owned your spiritual arrogance. That's not how you know you've set it aside when you take part in your own healing. So here's the beautiful word, humility. Number one, without humility, you can't know God. You can't know God with, with pride and arrogance. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what school you go to. I don't care about your spiritual disciplines. If you are consumed with pride, you cannot know God. Psalm 10.4 says this, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. So it is pride that is going to keep Jesus at arm's length from you. Okay? And all my interaction with non-believers, I can hear a lot of, I've heard a lot of objections to Christianity. I hear about science, about evolution, a big bang. I hear significant questions and all that. I hear about the hypocrisy and the faith being shoved down uh, their throat. You know what I don't hear? You know what I don't hear from unbelievers? My pride won't allow me to submit my life to Christ. I've never heard that one time, and yet that is probably the number one core of every non-believer's pride. The Bible tells us there are two natures, the spirit and flesh, and they're in conflict with another. Get this, people. There's a part of you that hates God. There's a part of you that cannot stand God, that, that, that reviles against his word, that resists any, any thought of repentance or following Jesus' ways. There's a part of you that just wants to stick a middle finger in God's face and tell him to go get lost, to leave you alone. That part will always be there till the day you die. It is called your flesh nature, and it is opposed to God. And it's like a wolf that is inside you trying to fight for supremacy of your life. And the other nature is the spirit nature, the spirit nature that loves God, that wants to see God valued and wants to see him lifted up, wants to be faithful to him. That is, that, that, th those two natures are in you. Now the question is, which one is going to win? And the answer is the one you feed. All right? So there, uh, recognize, people, there is a part of you that hates God. And in some of you all's lives right now, that wolf is winning. I pray that you will allow that pride to go by the wayside and that you embrace humility because you cannot know God without humility. Second thing, without humility, you cannot have wisdom. When pride comes, Proverbs 11, 2 says, when pride comes, it comes disgrace. But humility comes wisdom. Now, this is, this is something that people in the church always get wrong. 
okay? What humility is. So you, you, uh, people are hearing this message like, okay, so I need, to, I need to get really, really, really humble. I need to brace some humility. So uh, that means I need to think lowly of myself. So the people think that humility is beautiful people trying to think that they're ugly, uh, talented musicians trying to think they're terrible, great athletes seem to think that they, they are awful, that great artisans and, and people that are excellent at their work trying to think that they're terrible at it. That's not humility, okay? See, we in our brokenness and our humanity have even made humility about us. Humility has nothing to do with you. Okay? Humility is not having a low view of yourself. It's not because God made you. It, it, if, it, try, imagine Michael Jordan, who's the greatest basketball player I think that ever lived, trying to think he's not any good. That's ridiculous. Of course he's the greatest. He's the most, he's, he's talented. He's put in the work. There's no reason for Michael Jordan to think he's anything other than the greatest. But what humility for Michael Jordan would be having a high view of his teammates, having a high view of his opponents, his opponent makes a great three-point shot saying, good job. Building up his teammates, talking up his teammates. See, humility is not about you. It is about everyone else. Humility, true Christian humility, is not having a low view of yourself because you were made in the image of God, and God loves you. He, he didn't make junk. He spent time on you, and he loves you, and he put you together exactly like he wants you to be put together. And to say that you're not any good is a slap in God's face. But humility would be looking at someone else and saying, you're awesome. Humility would be the greatest athlete in the world looking at someone like me who's overweight and out of shape and, can't, and saying, hey, man, you're good. That's humility. Having a high view of others. Picking up others. Humility is completely others-centered. One story that's always stuck with me was from a young teenager who got to meet Billy Graham. Billy Graham was getting on in years. He got to actually meet this kid was about 15 years old, got to meet Billy Graham, the man who preached the gospel to more people in the history of the world. No one has ever reached as many people for Christ as Billy Graham, okay? One of the great, one of the giants of our faith, Billy Graham. And he got to, he got to meet him, just got done preaching an event, and this 15-year-old happened to see him afterwards well Billy Graham invited the young man in and offered him some coffee and and they talked for a little bit and the people who organized the event understood that uh, Billy Graham was starting to get tired he was like an older man he's in his 80s at this time and and they told the teenager it's time to go he said he, we need to end this conversation it's time to go he needs to go to bed needs a rest and as the teen stood up to leave Billy Graham said wait and he reached for his Bible, and he handed the Bible to the teenager, and he said, before you go, feed me from God's word. The young man was fairly startled. Billy Graham, the Billy Graham, 80-year-old Billy Graham, who's preached the gospel on every continent and every tribe and every language to people brought millions upon millions of people to Christ in his lifetime, wants me to feed him from the word of God. That's humility, people. Billy Graham knew he was the greatest preacher that ever lived. He knew that, he'd read that, that he didn't say that at all, but he had a high view of this teenager. And he said, I want you. I want you to read me God's word. 
and I want to go to bed satisfied with God's word, and I want you to do it. That's humility. He had a very high opinion of the young man 70 years younger than him. Didn't really care who the word of God came from. It wasn't beneath him to ask a teenager to teach him about God. That's humility. And like the Bible said, that kind of humility, that kind of high opinion of others leads to wisdom. Third, without humility, you cannot have God's blessing. You can't know God, you can't have wisdom, and you cannot have God's blessing. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. If you are consumed with spiritual arrogance, God is actively opposing you. That's not a good place for a Christian to be, you all. For you have God actively opposing you, stopping every blessing, thwarting your work. That is what happens when you are consumed with spiritual arrogance. God gives grace to the humble, shows favor to the humble. He loves people that have high views of his creation, of his people. People who love his creation, people who love the people around them, people that, that, that are not so consumed with themselves. They see people as, as things to be used or things to be evaluated, but simply people to be loved. That is who God shows favor to. I found the truth of Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, nor the strong boast of their strength. Or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. The Lord says, listen, you're allowed to boast about one thing. You're allowed to boast about one thing. Here it is. It isn't the color of your hair. It isn't, the, it isn't your height. It isn't your accomplishments. It's not that. No, the only thing that you can boast about is that you know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, and I delight in those things. And what that means, you all, is not that we go out and brag that we know God, but that we value this, that we value knowing God as the highest accomplishment we could have. I don't care what kind of athlete you are. I don't care what kind of, of professional person you are. I don't care what uh, all the things you have to be proud of and everything like that. None of that matters. The only thing that matters, God says, is knowing me. And people that know me embrace humility. They get rid of their spiritual arrogance. So if there's spiritual arrogance in here, if there's spiritual arrogance in your family, if there's spiritual arrogance in your life, I'm gonna ask you in the name of Jesus to get rid of it, to wash it away, to allow Jesus to cleanse it from you because it is making everyone sick except you, including your family. And the people closest to you are gonna be the ones that are most affected by your spiritual arrogance. You and the people around you your coworkers, your family, your children. Please do not be like that family that, I am, I, that, that breaks my heart, whose, whose parents so consumed with spiritual arrogance that none of their children are walking with the Lord now. Please do not be that family. Let's take the people around us, realize they're made in the image of God, and let's have a high view of them. Let's build them up. Let's get our focus on them, not on us. 
if you're embracing any false humility right now where you're trying to persuade yourself that you're not any good at things you're good at or that you're not attractive when you're attractive or things or, or that that whatever it is that God has gifted you the ability to do, and you're trying to convince yourself you're not any good, thinking that's humility, that is not humility. That is a self-centered uh, lie from Satan. Humility has nothing to do with you, everything to do with the people around you. See the people around you, every person that you meet on the street, every person you see on TV, every person in your classroom, every person in your place of work is someone that is made in the image of God and God loves. And let's start treating them like it. That's humility. And that is the solution to spiritual arrogance. Catalyst Christian Church, let us love one another. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. See you Tuesday at 7 o'clock. God bless. Bye-bye.